Hey everyone, it's Wednesday, it's noon, and we are here, and you are here as well. Of course you are, where else would you be? Today is an agenda-free Deep End Podcast episode. We are looking for your questions. We have some questions that have already come in. I can't wait to get into this. This is going to be fun. Welcome to the Deep End The Deep End Podcast, live on Wednesdays here at the studios in the bowels of Waters Church in North Attleboro, Massachusetts. My name is Tim. I'm your host every week here on the Deep End Podcast. And joining me in studio, Chris McEwen. Hello, Chris. Hello. And welcome to you. Those of you watching by uh, Facebook Live or YouTube Live, wherever you are watching, we are so glad that you are watching. So I said this uh, on our social media pages last yesterday and uh, or Monday, whenever it was released, that today's episode of The Deep End is going to be aimed mostly and possibly completely at your questions. Mm. We want to answer your questions. We know that many Christians out there have tons of questions about the faith, about life, about what we should believe as Christians, and uh, maybe you have doubts or whatever, problems that you're going through. I want to be here for you. My my profession is pastor, and I love pastoring people, and many times we don't give an opportunity for church people or even non-church people to ask questions. Uh, I want to say boldly and confidently that I am not afraid of your questions, no matter what they are. Mm-hmm. There is no such thing as a stupid question either, so just ask your questions. Uh, we want to help you, and I think that you have to remember this, that if you read the Gospels, you will, you will learn quickly that most of Jesus' teaching was in response to questions. And so, with that in mind, we're going to get into that in just a moment. But before we get into the questions, and this is just going to give you some time, if you're watching live at noon at Wednesday, on Wednesday, um, this is going to give you some time to load us up with some questions in the comments. So right below me, or to the side of me if you're on YouTube, fill in your question, whatever question. It could be about Revelation, it could be about what we're talking about in the book of Revelation, or it could be about you know uh, what's happening in the news today, uh, what's going on in your life. And I want to be available to you. So um, before we get to those questions, though, and feel free to start filling them in now, we're going to talk some news, as we always do on the Deep End Podcast. So let's talk about news. Chris, yeah. you have some news stories for us, I think. I, I, so I'm looking. It might be a quick news segment because uh, I'm not finding much. Believe in yourself, Chris. What do you got over there? Well, you, this, the Mueller <laughs> report is in all the news. Yeah, skip that. that. just can't. Okay. Next. Uh, next. <laughs> Um, two elephants passed away in the zoo. Which zoo is this? This was the San Diego Zoo. Uh, they died within days of each other, which was sad. Um, the African elephant named Kalali died suddenly at the Indianapolis Zoo. I apologize. But another one died a week later. So there's an uh, investigation. You're underway. giving me dead elephants. I know. <laughs> Next. <laughs> That's not, okay. Back, back, go, go. Uh, hopefully the questions are pouring in now. Um, well, a lady uh, killed somebody that spit in her food at a fast food restaurant. Now, that's interesting. Is it? Oh, yes. I better find that one again. How did she kill them? Um, that, I, I jumped off that page. It's breaking news. Breaking news. Because somebody spit in her food. Yeah. She worked there. Uh, where? She, fast food restaurant is yeah, all it where? said. I'm, I'm going off my memory because I lost it. Is this a gun-free zone? 
Um, I, that I don't know. I don't know how they died. <laughs> All right, I got a news. Hey, wait, uh, something's you got coming nothing. in got one. right now. Uh, oh no, that's a question. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm doing the old. Uh, my, my, somebody's talking to me in my ear right now. Okay, you have you have some news, Pastor Tim. I have some news. I right, please do tell. Uh, the never-ending battle between Chick Fil A and the LGBTQ AI. Mm. I did hear that. LMNOPQRS people. I, right? There's only five uh, letters now. I'm waiting until they get San to Antonio. Right. San Antonio Airport, Airport, International Airport, said Chick-fil-A, take a hike. We're not going to let you in because of your legacy, quote, legacy of anti-LGBTQ behavior, mm. end quote. On Thursday, six members of the San Antonio City Council rejected the inclusion of Chick-fil-A from the new food, beverage, and retail prime concession agreement for the airport. The seven-year contract for concession management at the terminal is expected to create $2.1 million in revenue for the city, uh, for the Texas city. The motion passed gave the green light for foods and shops, including Smoke Shack and local coffee, but no Chick-fil-A. And I say that is a tragedy because obviously these people have never tasted Chick-fil-A. Amen. Uh, and <laughs> they need to. You know, one of the things that you got to remember, there's this ridiculous there's this ridiculous fight between Chick-fil-A's and the gays. And it's because the founder of Chick-fil-A uh, said at one point, he had the audacity to say at one point that uh, marriage is between a man and a woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also donate money to Athletes in Action, which is a Christian athletic uh, association. Oh, I'm sorry, not Athletes in Action. Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Okay. They donated $1.6 million, Chick-fil-A did. $1.6 million to the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And in the Statement of Faith, under the Fellowship of Christian Athletes Charter, it says that it believes marriage is exclusively the union of a man and a woman and believes that sexual intimacy should be only expressed within that context. And so, therefore, because Chick-fil-A had the audacity to donate to them, mm. uh, the San Antonio airport has banned them from their food and concession stands. Which, again, this is the uh, this is the uh, intolerance of the tolerant. Uh, I w- yeah. I'm old enough to remember that uh, the uh, gay marriage proponents were saying, uh, why can't you be more tolerant of people who don't believe like you? And now the very people who... Uh, demanded that are the ones who are intolerant of those who don't believe like them. Tables of turn. The tables of turn, my friends. And anyway, you know, I just want to say that I want to remind our watchers and listeners that in the horrific um, Orlando uh, gay nightclub shooting that happened, I think, about three years ago now, it was Chick-fil-A who is historically uh, closed every Sunday. And they stepped up. They opened on Sunday, sent their employees out to the location of the mass shooting where 50 gay people were gunned down in a horrific massacre in Orlando and served the people of that uh, tragedy. They served the workers, uh, the friends, the family members of these uh, gays and lesbians who lost their lives so tragically. And so so, such short memories uh, we have. It's uh, kind of like the state of um, the world today where we just... (laughs) <laughs> demonize a group uh, forever because of something that they did that offended us, and now they are cut off. Well, is it even something they did or something they said? Because if Something I, they believe, I think, th- is in the case of Chick-fil-A. But if, if somebody of the LGBTQYZ um, goes <laughs> and, and applies to a Chick-fil-A, I don't think there's anything no, in... No, they, they hire them. They hire them. Yeah. So My daughter works for Chick-fil-A. 
So she knows firsthand that there's okay. Thought you had that something else to say. After um, no, yeah, she's not gay. Thank you. <laughs> Just <laughs> but for clarifying. There's no, there's no discrimination on their part, and they want and they right. actually issued a statement saying we want anybody to come. We we include everybody into yeah. our uh, food service, and we want to serve anyone and everyone who comes to our establishment. And so sad to see, but this is the state of our world. Unfortunately, endless fighting over mm. uh, what goes on in our pants. I just don't get it. It's um, the ridiculousness of the age. But we move on and we love our neighbor as ourselves. Speaking of fast food, okay, uh, fast food restaurant manager arrested after allegedly shooting uh, and killing a man who threatened her and spit on her. So is that the one you were talking about Yes, before? I found it. Okay, a fast food restaurant okay, manager in Tulsa was arrested after she shot and killed a man who threatened her and spit on her. So the, the, the manager was threatened somebody spit on her she got a gun yikes and killed him because he said something she didn't like and well so this uh, is getting this is getting all, too, all too common it's a I'm, world of hate just by what somebody <laughs> says their opinion or uh, shots are fired that's all right don't worry about that um but no i mean it's just by what people think or what they perceive or what people says say to somebody else we're we're going to literally take their lives yeah it's one thing to ban somebody and and take somebody's livelihood which is horrible but now we're going to take somebody's entire existence because i don't agree with what they do or say yeah okay i'm depressed how about you (laughs) (laughs) let's move on from the news we are going to ask answer your questions and we encourage ask anything and the word anything is Serious. 508-316-9333 if you want to text your question so that we don't know who you are. Mm. If you don't mind us knowing who you are, you can fill that out in the comments or you can take the uh, ridiculous amount of time to open a fake Facebook account and ask us that (laughs) way. But let's just do it the easy way, shall we? Either ask in the comments and we'll know who you are or text the question to 508-316-9333. They're coming in too. I already have a few. Do you have a question right now, Chris? Let's I, see. I have many, yeah. Okay, go for it. Uh, well, as a Christian, am I supposed to forgive people for what they have done to me? Uh, and is it bad to have hatred in my heart for someone for the stuff they have done? I struggle with forgiveness to them. Okay, simple answer is yes and yes. Yes. Uh, you must forgive. Uh, Jesus uh, very uh, forcefully uh, enunciates the necessity for forgiveness on the part of those who follow him. Now, if you're not a Christian, feel free to ignore what I'm about to tell you. But if you are a Christian, you believe that God has forgiven you of all your sins. And what we tend to do as Christians is we tend to minimize our sins and maximize other people's sins. This is why Jesus talked about to take out the log in your own eye before you worry about the speck in your brother's eye. Now, the person who asked this question, you may have experienced some horrific tragedy. You may have experienced something that you could not possibly equal in retribution to the person who did it to you. Well, I understand that you may have experienced something horrible, but you are also fully unaware, as am I, of how horrible you have been to other people. Mm. I know that's a hard thing to hear, but it's true. We tend to minimize our sin and maximize other people's sins, and Jesus, in Matthew's Gospel, in the Sermon on the Mount, says... Take the log, think about a log, huge, out of your eye to worry about the speck, small, in somebody else's eye. Basically implying that your sin is much worse than you think. 
The, it is the nature of the human condition, though, to constantly think that we are innocent, to proclaim our innocence, to say, and we do this when we measure our morality. Uh, when we measure our morality against others, we are always saying, well, I'm not as bad as that person, or I never killed anybody. Well, there's a lot more, uh, there's a lot more commandments in the Bible than just don't kill. Sure. Uh, and then we have to realize that sin is a condition before it is a behavior. Sin is a condition, is a heart condition. And the same sin condition that has caused you to do things that are hurtful toward other people is also causing you to not be forgiving. And so unforgiveness in itself is a sin, especially for those who have been forgiven of all their sins through Christ Jesus. So you've got to remember this. The reason why you struggle with unforgiveness is because there is a sin condition in your heart, just like the alcoholic struggles with alcohol mm. or the... Uh, sexually immoral struggles with sexual morality, or the greedy person struggles with storing up wealth on this earth. There is a condition in your heart. And Jesus came to deal with your heart. And you have to remember that. He came to deal with the problem of sin in your heart. Not first the fruits of your sin, but the condition of your sin. So, of course you struggle with unforgiveness because you need a work of the Holy Spirit to come in and start to regenerate and start to sanctify and purify the heart's condition. Salvation happens in three, way, in three phases. You have to, you have to remember, remember this. Uh, at the cross, when we believe in Jesus, we are saved first from sin's penalty. Sin's penalty is judgment. Jesus bears our judgment on the cross. Penalty is only the first thing that we are saved. Sin's, sin's penalty, judgment, death, hell. Well, upon belief in Jesus, every single person who puts their faith in him and has their heart changed through the Holy Spirit has the penalty of sin saved and taken away. But secondly, there is a lifelong process by which we are saved from the power of sin. This is sin's influence on others. This is why Christians still sin. This is why Christians still mess up. This is why Christians still struggle with things, such as your sin of your struggle with unforgiveness or somebody else's struggle with an addiction to something or somebody else's struggle with lying or jealousy, or envy, or greed, or covetousness, whatever the sin struggle is, there's a power of sin that through the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit, the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit over time. Uh, Philippians 1.7, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion until yeah. the day of Christ Jesus. He is working on you now. He is regenerating you. He is sanctifying you. He is purifying you now from all those conditions of sin, the power of sin that is still at work in your life. And you need to ask God, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you will overcome this unforgiveness. Yeah. And you have to love those who hate you. Jesus modeled this on the cross, and then he commanded it to his, uh, and he also commanded it to his followers. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you mm -hmm. and, and revile you and, and falsely say all manner of evil against you. Rejoice and be glad. And, then, and you must love your neighbor uh, regardless of what they have said about you. That's the response of Christ. Because... We who were enemies of God in our sins and in our transgressions and in our rebellion against him, he loved in spite of us. So remember that. We live out the, the meaning. We live out the implications of the gospel when we realize what Jesus has done for us in the gospel, loving those who hated him. So you are lifelong saved from the power of sin, in, immediately saved from the penalty of sin, hell, death, judgment lifelong experience as a Christian to be saved from the power of sin. And hopefully, as you grow deeper and further in Christ, 
The power of sin is less prevalent, less powerful, and you walk in holiness and obedience more and more each day. But thirdly and finally, one day when Christ comes or you die and your body is resurrected to new life, you are saved from the presence Mm. of sin. So penalty, power, presence. Right now you're in that power stage and and the power that is coming against your heart is unforgiveness. And I'm telling you, you don't want that power at work in your life. It will embitter you. It will bring you down. It'll beat on you. It'll be a weight on your shoulders that you are not meant to carry and you will not be able to flourish in life. You will not be able to open your heart to other people in life. Forgiveness is a powerful gift because what it does is it sets you free from the prison that you have chosen to hold your heart in because of what somebody did to you in your past. And if you never get free from your past, you will never be able to walk in your present toward your future. And so please understand that, yes, the short answer is you must forgive. And yes, you must love those who hate you. This is the, this is the call of the Christian faith. This is not easy. But through the power of the Holy Spirit working in you. Okay, I, I want to make sure nobody can motivate this into you. You've got to get into the Word of God. You've got to study. Matthew 18 would be a great passage of Scripture for you to read through. When Peter comes to Jesus and says, how many times should I forgive my brother if he sins against me? Jesus says, 70 times 7. The, 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 the Greek euphemism for infinity. As many times as they come and sin against you, you forgive them. Why? And then he tells the story, the parable of the man who owed uh, like 50 bucks uh, uh, to his neighbor, and I'm sorry, the man who owed $50 million, whatever the number is, is like 10,000 talents. It's more money than the Roman government had at the time when Jesus told this parable. He says, this man owed the king 10,000 talents. He couldn't pay. The king heart, king's heart went out to him. He forgave him. And then that same man who was forgiven went out, found somebody who owed him 50 bucks, and threw him in jail. And the king came back and said, I just forgave you. You're inordinate. You're, you're impossible to overcome debt. How could you not Share that forgiveness. And listen, if Christians are not forgiving, then we are not really living mm. in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has forgiven all of us. Amen. I hope that's a... Yeah, it's perfect. I hope that helps. For me, really quick, it was just, I got convicted when I realized I'm going to be judged by how I judge others. I mean, Jesus says it in his model for, for prayer, yeah. right? Forgive me as I forgive others. Yes. That was very convicting for me. Like, okay, I need, and like you said, it just it, it's freeing when right. you just let that go. Yes. Um, moving on. Moving on. All right. Uh, I don't know. This is kind of maybe it's, it's a personal question to it's you. Okay. Oh, but, for me? Yeah, kind of. Oh. Uh, I think I know the answer. But when was it? When was it that God became real for you? Yeah, that was at the age of eleven. Mm-hmm. And um, what happened? I have a funny kind of like story about God becoming real to me. I was raised in a Christian family. My, my parents, I come from the Pentecostal background, the Pentecostal church. This is a believing in the Holy Spirit, gifts are for today, believing tongues, prophecy, interpretation, all those kind of things are for today. Still believe that, still very much Pentecostal uh, in my own personal faith, but I don't push that on anybody else. I just declare Jesus to everybody. Um, but when I was being raised, um, uh, there was a, a youth group that I was a part of in my church, and they were starting to, my friends were getting baptized, and I didn't want to get baptized. My parents, actually, I remember the dinner. Yeah. This is like one of those moments in your life when you, you remember. But I remember the, my parents at dinner were saying, do you want to get baptized? I said, no. 
Uh, and and uh, then one ha- what happened was, this is months later, my youth group is watching, speaking of the book of Revelation, they are watching the movie, and some of you from the 1970s and 80s church will remember this. It's called oh, yeah. A Thief in the Night. Oh, scary. One of the worst Christian movies <laughs> in human history, one of the worst movies in human history, of the you know tribulation, this person's left behind, and, and the movie ends with this guillotine. They're, they're chopping off the yep. Christian's heads yep. <laughs> at the end of the movie. And uh, this girl is being dragged to the guillotine and her boyfriend is getting killed as she's being dragged to the guillotine and she's screaming and then it kind of like goes black and then the credits roll. <laughs> so so, so then, yeah. I'll never forget this. As I was watching the movie, this girl from my youth group who got baptized comes to me and says, that's what's going to happen to you because you didn't get baptized. Wow. Well, I just flip out. And anyway, <laughs> I'm like, I'm getting baptized tomorrow. About a week later, I was getting baptized. But that really wasn't when God became real to me. When God became real to me was when I, I went to a youth group, and uh, it was in New Hampshire, and uh, right. they, they asked anybody who wants to receive the Holy Spirit, come forward. And so I, who had believed in Christ and had been baptized, said, I'll come and receive the Holy Spirit. And I came, and I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, had that Pentecostal experience. Again, this doesn't happen for every Christian the way it happened to me, and the Holy Spirit fills different people different ways. Uh, the Lord Jesus is an individual Savior. The Holy Spirit is an individual filler. He individually re- responds to people um, as he sees fit. So anyway, for me, I went to the front. They prayed, laid hands. I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I spoke in other tongues. I still speak in other tongues to this day. Uh, uh, a year later, I went back to that youth camp, um, and I felt the call of God to be a pastor and yeah. a preacher. And what that I can only describe that as I had an overwhelming urge to preach and proclaim what the Bible says. So that's how God became and now you're here today. Now I'm here today. Follow-up question to the last answer. Uh, Patty says... Uh, so, yes, we have to forgive those who hurt us, but is it wrong to break a relationship if there's a pattern of abuse and hurt? No, like not at all. Self-defense, giving the person a second chance to hurt you. No, not at all. Yeah, not. You, you, you have to be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Mm-hmm. So innocent in the sense that, this is Jesus' words, right? Innocent in the sense that you will forgive and you will release their, the penalty for their sin against you, just as Christ has released you from the penalty of your sin. Right. But you will not be a fool. Um, there are people out there, and <laughs> I think it's the vast majority of people out there, who will take advantage of people who allow them to be taken advantage of. Christian, you are not given this, this uh, compulsive command from, from Christ to let people walk over you as if you're some mat, you're some doormat. That's Punching ridiculous. Bag, yeah. You've got to keep your relationships healthy. They are your lifeblood. Uh, this is why we do small groups at Waters Church, so that you can have healthy, strong Christian relationships mm-hmm. with people who you get along with, and number two, who build you up in the faith. So if you are a part of a relationship where you can draw healthy boundaries with a person that is constantly trying to hurt you, then please, by all means, and everything within, with everything that is in, within your power, draw those boundaries and hold those boundaries firmly. You are not required uh, by Christ to be a punching bag for anybody. Yeah, you can still forgive that person and then cut them off and move on, right? Yeah, and by cutting them off, I'm just saying you're drawing healthy boundaries. I don't want to say yeah. cut them off as if you never ever look at them or talk to them again, although it might be necessary in some cases if it's a spousal abuse situation, if right. it's uh, somebody um, is always taking money from you and never paying it back and they don't just bother, they don't bother to get a job, they just take advantage of you that way. Mm-hmm. You've got to draw healthy boundaries, You've got to draw healthy boundaries. And sometimes those boundaries are firm and thick and they're, you know, 12-foot walls and they shall never come your way again. Sometimes those boundaries are flexible. 
Uh, you have to ask for the discernment of the Holy Spirit here. You have to ask for God to lead you and guide you. And then you have to maybe ask, seek counsel with someone that you can trust, whether it be an elder or small group leader at our church here or at your church, who can really say, speak more to the specifics of your situation and say, this might not be healthy or this is healthy and here's how far I would take that relationship. But no, you are not required to be in a relationship with people who continually sin against you in a harmful manner. Uh, you are nobody's doormat, especially if they're a Christian. If they're a Christian, you got to go and show them your sin because that's how uh, Matthew 18 actually right. opens up. Go and show them their sin, and if they don't listen to you, then you bring somebody else with you, and, they, and then by the mouth of two or three witnesses, all things are established, Jesus says, and then if they don't listen to you, then you show it to the church, and then that's why we have elders. This is why a church has elders, friends. This is why you cannot just have church on your own in your car with Hillsong Radio and your podcasts, okay? Mm-hmm. You have to have a church with elders who will give oversight to these kinds of situations and bring healing and bring repentance, hopefully, and and bring a stern warning in the name of Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the presence of Christ to the person who repeatedly hurts someone else in the church. Right. Uh, you know this, Chris, as a, as a member of our staff here, our member of our pastoral team, that we remove people from this fellowship uh, whenever they are constantly hurting people sure. within this fellowship. And that is for the protections. We right. draw the boundaries when people can't draw those boundaries themselves. So I would say definitely draw those boundaries. It's good. I'm an educator, and more and more I find myself in situations where I am asked to state my pronouns during teacher workshops. I feel these pronouns are obvious, and it frustrates me to no end. I... I, I I see a statement there, not a question. Yeah, no, no I understand the question. What okay. should I do? I, what you should do is, uh, as far as it depends on you, uh, go with the flow. Um, and that's going to sound hard, but you have to remember and you have to know uh, uh, church history, people of God history here, uh, particularly when it comes to Daniel and Esther, uh, that these are books, Daniel and Esther and Nehemiah, really, um, that teach the church today how to be uh, faithful exiles in a foreign land. Now, let me just do a brief rundown of church of Israel's history. Israel is taken out of Exodus. They are given the promised land. They are supposed to conquer the promised land. They do not conquer the entire promised land. Those foreign nations, the Philistines and the Amorites and the Hittites and the Hivites and all those other ites of the promised land become thorns in their flesh. Well, eventually David comes to the fore and he starts to wipe out the Philistines and wipe out those foreign nations. They become the first world superpower under King David. Then Solomon takes them to the stratosphere with economic revival, economic blessing. But As is always the case with economic blessing, they forsake God and they serve money. And then slowly the nation declines in this immoral morass. It just becomes worse and worse and worse, king after king after king, with a few notable exceptions such as uh, uh, Josiah, Hezekiah, and a couple of others. Uh, But eventually they have to be handed over to the enemies and they go into Babylonian exile for 70 years. They are taken out of their land, out of the promised land. Their temple is destroyed. Their city is destroyed. And the best of the best of the men and the women are brought into exile and put into the king's court. Some of those men we know. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, although the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego names are Babylonian names that were put upon them. Mm. So I want you to think about this. uh, And by the way, Daniel is given the name Belshazzar. So I want you to think about the fact that Daniel had a Babylonian name, and uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are Babylonian names applied to God's children in their exile, and at no point do they fight against that. At no point do they rail against Babylon. Why? Because it would have been pointless. They would have been killed. They would have been killed immediately. 
Now, you're not going to get killed for refusing to state your pronouns. But in my opinion, you've got to learn, Christian, and every Christian has to learn this. Faithful Christians have to learn this now more than ever in our country's uh, context. And it's worse for educators because I think it's the educational institution that is taking this <laughs> way further than every other institution in this right. country. Which is you've got to learn how to kind of live as an exile. How do I live as a faithful exile? Mm. The educational institution of our culture, particularly the state-sponsored schools and the secular uh, private education schools, um, they are far and away uh, devoid from a biblical understanding, devoid from um, a fear of God. And you are in that context for a reason, to represent the Lord Jesus Christ in a dark place. You are not alone. And you are not the first in human history to ever have to do this. Daniel stands with you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they stand with you. There does come a point, as it came with Daniel, as it came with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where your worship of the Lord Jesus Christ will be challenged. It will be at that moment. It will be at that moment where you will have to draw your line in the sand and say, I cannot do this. This disrespects the Lord and Savior, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This asks me to deny my personal faith. Mm. And as with Daniel, who was thrown into the lion's den, and as with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were thrown into the fiery furnace, there are going to be Christians in the West, in America and in Europe, who will have to learn how to embrace that kind of moment. It's not going to always be clear. You're going to, again, have to ask for the Holy Spirit to give you words to say in those moments. But this is why we're going through the book of Revelation on the deep end, because we're learning how to stand in the midst of an age that has always been hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ and those who believe in it. Mm. This is nothing new. But when it comes to pronouns, just I would say you're not doing anything there that's denying your faith, denying the Lord Jesus Christ, or denying what is real. I am a he. You can refer to me as him or his. Uh, that's not, you're not lying. Uh, you're kind of just going with the flow. And as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego adopted those pagan names to the extent that when the scribes wrote the book of Daniel, or when Daniel wrote the book of Daniel, he left their names as the Babylonian names. He yeah. did not feel necessary to rename them back to their original names. I think it was Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael. He mentioned somebody. Does. Yeah. But he, he kept his, you know. So there's going to be lines in the sand. I don't think that this is one. I think you go with the flow and you let the Lord... Um, use you in that situation. And here's what I would do. Why don't you ask God to give you some direction here about taking intentional steps to blessing those who would uh, not expect it That's in good. that context? Yeah. Why don't you be the person who goes the extra mile? When Jesus says go the extra mile, he's mm -hmm. talking about that the Roman law that required Jews to carry a Roman centurion's bags for one mile. And he said, you know what? Don't go one mile. Go two miles. Go the extra mile with those quote-unquote Roman centurions who are making you state your pronouns and is bugging you. In doing that, you are blessing those who might, you know, subtly persecute you. It's not really persecution, so I don't want to say that, but you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You are actually giving opportunity here to shine brighter yeah. in a context that seems so dark to you. So take the opportunity to shine for Christ in that situation. Yeah, it's really good. All right, so since as a church right now we're in a, we're in a topic of tithing, uh, this person wants to know, is tithing under the law? If tithing was for the Levites, where else in the scriptures does it say to give to the church? Right. Okay, first off, tithing is not under the law. 
And this is a common misconception for Christians who want to say, I'm a New Testament Christian, and therefore I don't have to tithe. The tithe does not start with the law. It actually starts before the law. Mm. It starts with Abraham. Abraham is the first tither. And you could even say and Mm. suggest that Abel was the first tither. Abel and Cain, right, the first two boys, they bring their offerings to God. The Bible says that Abel brought the firstborn of his flocks to the Lord. But Cain, in the course of time, brought some of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. In the course of time is a little Hebrew idiom, meaning when he got around to it. In other words, Cain gave God the leftovers. Abel gave God the firstborn of his flock. So you could even say that tithing goes all the way back to uh, Cain and Abel. But it actually is officially instituted with a guy named Abraham. And Abraham wins this great battle to rescue Lot from the five kings. as a great civil war early on in the scriptures. And Melchizedek comes, and uh, Melchizedek and Abraham, right in that moment, because of God's deliverance, uh, initiate the tithe, the first tenth. And then Jacob, on his departure from his homeland, as he's running from Esau's vengeance, uh, has a dream of of, of the stairway to heaven. Before it was a Led Zeppelin song, it was a biblical story. (laughs) stairway to heaven. He sees the angels of God ascending and descending, and and he says, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. This is none other than the the, uh, house of God. And uh, he renames the place from Luz to Bethel. Hmm. And then he says, and now I promise that whatever God gives me, I will give him back a tenth. So Jacob is uh, the first official tither in his statement to promise God a tenth of whatever comes in. This carries into the Deuteronomical law, the Leviticus law, and and in Exodus. And it is never eliminated. It goes all the way through the Old Testament, right through Malachi, the last book of the Bible, Mm -hmm. talking about the tithe. And before we get to the tithe in the book of Malachi, Malachi actually challenges God's people with the fact that they are giving their governors their best, they are giving their societal leaders their best, they are giving all other institutions of their community their best, and they're giving God their leftovers. Mm. So before we even talk about the first tenth, why don't we talk about that? The attitude of what do you give to God as opposed to what do you give to the mortgage company? Right. What do you give to the electric company? What do you give to your kids and their infinite number of extracurricular activities? Hello, hello. <laughs> what do you give to Amazon? What do you give to <laughs> movies? What do you give to entertainment? Just think about your yeah. budget for entertainment. Add it up, sit down, write it out, and see. Just ask yourself this honest question. Are you giving 10% to those things and your leftovers to God? When those things, Amazon, entertainment, Hollywood, movies and entertainment, media, cannot bless you, do not give a rip about your marriage, don't care about your kids, don't worry if you're addicted to alcohol, drugs, or sex, they will never help you. The God in heaven who loves you, who gave his son as a symbol of his love for you and as a propitiation for your sins, a payment for the penalty of sins against you, loves you. Why would you not want to give him your best? Yeah. And, and then after giving him your best, then you pay for your electric and your mortgage and your, and your entertainment and your extracurricular activities for your kids. The reason why I teach the tithe in the New Testament, two reasons. Number one, Jesus affirms the tithe in Matthew 23, 23. We skip over this text because in Matthew 23, Jesus is declaring woes to the Pharisees of his day. The Pharisees were tithers to the nth degree. They tithe on their spice rack. They tithe on their mint and their cumin and their dill, right? But they didn't care about their neighbor. 
And so Jesus pronounces woe and says, you don't care about your neighbor, but you tithe. And they had the reverse problem of today's American Christian. The reverse problem was American Christians today think, yes, I will help my neighbor, but tithe, that's optional. Yeah, yeah. Well, if Jesus was speaking to American Christians today, I have no doubt in my mind that he would say, great, you care about the poor. Great, you're for helping other people. But wait, where's the honor for my father's house? Yeah. Where's the honor for what I'm doing in presenting the gospel to the nations? And friends, Make no bones about it. The way the Christian church advances is through the monetary giving of those whose hearts are captured by the gospel and believe that souls need saving. And there's no other way it's happening. It's happening through the proclamation of the gospel. Mm. This happens through the local church. Supporting your local church is giving to the gospel. So Matthew 23, 23. Secondly, I teach the tithe because it teaches you how to manage your money. for, For many people... Um, giving the tithe is like the first time they're ever going to actually look at their income and say, what's one-tenth? Like, this is how we start budgeting. Because then we start looking at our income and saying, okay, here's one-tenth that's going to God. Okay, now let's look at the other percentages. What are we putting into our housing? What are we putting into our clothing? What are we putting into our entertainment? What are we putting into all these other things? So now we can sit down and start to own our money instead of letting our money own us. Now we can start to sit down and say, I'm going to budget. And the fancy, the great definition for a budget, I think I get this from Rick Warren or somebody. The fancy definition for a budget is telling your money where to go before you, find, before you ask where it went. Yeah. And so in tithing, you That's are good. given that opportunity to sit down, look at your money, and measure it out and, and start to prioritize your finances. Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, mm-hmm. there your heart will be. Your heart, your affections, your worship, Your love follows your money, never the other way around. So whatever you put money into, your heart is drawn to. If you buy a stock, buy any stock, immediately you care about that company. Immediately you care about the direction of the company. Your heart is following your money. You put money into a house. Immediately your house becomes one of the biggest parts of your heart, your biggest worry, your biggest fear, your biggest consternation. Listen, put your money into the kingdom. And the kingdom will become your biggest care, your biggest concern, your biggest, the biggest part of your heart. Yeah. And you will see, the Bible says that they who seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all the things that the pagans run after will be added into your life by a God who loves you and cares for you. So that's why I teach the tithe. Uh, it is not under the law. It is actually before the law. And it follows through the law. And then in the New Testament, if you really want to get down to the nitty gritty, let's look at the New Testament, right? The New Testament, the church is born in Acts chapter 2. By the end of Acts chapter 2, after the Holy Spirit fills the church, guess what they're doing? Everybody's taking all their possessions, not 10%, right. all of it, and Given. putting it at the feet of the apostles and saying, distribute it as you will. Yeah. <laughs> so if you want to practice New Testament giving, <laughs> and you want to really you know, split hairs over biblical interpretation, then go to Acts chapter 2 and give all your money That's to good. the local church. But we don't require that. And I don't yeah. think that God really wants that. I think that was a, you know, that was a moment in church history. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that if necessary, there might be other moments where that happens, and we see the Holy Spirit work on people to share their wealth more freely. We are living in a tremendously blessed age. We we have access more than ever to the comforts of modern life. Uh, right now, on your cell phone, Chris, you could pull up Amazon and order something that will be here in. Less than 48 hours. What would you like? Whatever you want. I mean, just imagine. At prices lower than your grandfather ever dreamed of. Yeah. And so I think that we're a little bit blinded, not a little bit, a lot blinded by our indulgence and luxuries. 
And we've got to wake up to this. And the best way to wake up to this is to start honoring God with the first tenth. Okay, long answer. But you got me started. Uh, and some relevant ones. So I'm going to say this one because you might have even answered it in that statement. But three people want a response to this post, this question, which is, but I have a problem giving my full trust to God. How can I break through that wall? Do it. That's how you break through it. Yeah, let you can't. It, right? It's like it's like the chair that you're sitting on, this couch that you're sitting on. I want to trust the chair. I want to trust the couch. Okay, well, you can examine it. You can look at it. You can talk to the manufacturer. You can ask him how he made it. You can look at uh, uh, demand that you take. Let's take the upholstery off, and you can look at the wood underneath it. You can do all that until the cows come home, and you'll never really understand that that couch can hold you up until you sit down right. in the couch. Yeah. Uh, there's no easier way to say this, guys, and I know you think you can't. Okay, let me just, let me give you an idea of how easy it actually is. If tomorrow you go into work and your boss says, we're cutting your pay by 10%, would you make it work? Of course you would. Right. You'd have you would to make it work. Find a way. You would absolutely and easily make it work. I guarantee you, you would. I guarantee it. Okay. The idea that I'm living paycheck to paycheck is only because we spend to the level of our paycheck. It is the human condition. And I'm telling you right now, no matter what amount of money you make, you will spend to the end of your paycheck. If you make more money, you will spend more money. I've learned this myself. As my income has grown, I get a little bit more lackadaisical. Before I know it, I'm like, what the heck happened to my money? Oh, I got to rein in. I got to look at my spending more intentionally. I got to look at this. This is just the nature of the human condition. We, we consume and we get preoccupied with consumption. So if your boss came to you tomorrow and said 10% cut in all pay because we got to make ends meet around here, you would make it work. But I, I don't want you to see it that way long term because it's not cutting 10% of your pay. It's God, you are coming first in my life. Yeah. And he promises to honor that. He promises to open the floodgates. Think about it this way. Right now, for some of you, the floodgates are closed tight because you don't honor God. And the very one who has the power to open those floodgates, right? The very one that has power. You're saying no. No, thank you. But the moment that you do, the moment you sit in that couch, the moment that you just do it, it will open. Now, here's my advice. Do it first. Abel gave the first of his uh, flocks to the Lord, the firstborn of his flocks. Now think about it in the agricultural setting. To give the firstborn of your flocks, you're not sure if you're going to have another lamb uh, born to that that mother, you. You're not sure. You're doing this by faith. And and that's what our our faith is about, is faith. And I want to remind you, too, that Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So it's going to have to come down to, Lord, I'm jumping into this pool. I'm sitting in that couch. I am going to take you at your word. And the truth is, because we are a comfortable society, because we don't have much persecution at all, hardly, in this society, we aren't really demanded to trust God hardly about almost anything. But this is where the rubber hits the road for you, American Christian. This is where it is. Your money, your income. Trust God with that. And I guarantee you what's going to also happen is your faith will grow as you see God come through. And then you will be more empowered to be a more generous, loving, carefree, worry-free Christian in your life. You, by not trusting God here, are withholding from you. Okay? The church has always been in good shape. We've always been in good shape. 
We've always been in good shape. I'm just telling you right now. We, if you say tomorrow, I'm not giving to the church, the <laughs> Lord will raise up other people. Yeah. The Lord has the church in the palm of his hands. We are not worried. We have always been taken care of. God is good. You are robbing God, and you are robbing you of what God could do for you. Yeah. It comes down to that. So I, I was debating even doing this one. It's the last tithing one, but it's, uh, I just want you to be able to answer it because I don't want somebody to have this thought out no there. No problem. But it says, I get all that you're saying, but unfortunately, I feel like you were, it says tithe, but I believe they mean tithe, tithe shaming last week. Mm. If I do not give an amount over what you think is appropriate, you stated you would find us a job that paid more. I don't remember you saying oh, that. Oh, I know what I said. This is the Saturday Night Crew. I didn't say this. Okay, I was there in Saturday So too. I said... Um, but it just finishes up really oh, yeah, quick. So, so is this how you feel about all senior citizens who are on limited incomes? Uh, I'm not sure what they think I feel about all senior citizens, yeah. but... Um, <laughs> I assure you, I like senior citizens. Uh, what I said on Saturday night was, uh, if you're giving, I called it the effortless giver. And this is right. true. I don't care what anybody says. This is true. You give $5 to the offering. You give a buck. You're an effortless giver. It's effortless. You give more money to your pets. You give more money to edu- to your entertainment Netflix desires. Alone. Netflix gets more money than God in your house. Yeah. Shame on you. Absolutely. If you want to feel shame because <laughs> of that, then good for you. Feel shame. Seriously. Grow up. <laughs> Understand what Jesus has done for you. I, I just don't understand. I mean, there might be an issue with your heart with the Lord. To be honest with you, there might be a serious issue. Does the Lord have your heart? Well, that's what tithing does. And so what I said, though, at one point, though, was if you're giving the 20 and you say that's your tithe, then you are making, I think I said uh, the estimate is $20,000 a year. I want to ask your boss for a raise or something. I uh, we said, said, look, if that's, your, if that's the case, if you're making $20,000 a year and you're not a teenager living with your parents, right. then you are well below the poverty level. Come and see us. We want to find you job training so you can get a job that will pay you a decent salary. Right. We, we would love to help you with that, and we can help you with that, and we have helped people with that. The problem that I see and what we have seen consistently with the, with the culture of America as it is today is a genuine stinginess mm. towards God. It's just a fact, friend. It's just a fact. It's a genuine stinginess towards what the church is all about. And the funny thing about our church is people come, we don't ask them to pay up front. Nowhere do you have to give anything. You could come to our church and take literally from now until the day you die sure. and not give us a dime. And many of us wouldn't even know if it was you. Yeah. Many of us wouldn't even know. And by the way, we wouldn't even care. We would see you. We would greet you. We would hug you. We would handshake you. We would say, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. We would welcome you with open arms in this fellowship. And you could be taking from us until the day you die. But God will judge you for this. I'm telling you right now. He holds records very sternly mm. and very clearly and very accurately. We don't have to judge you. We don't have to shame you. No. And if you feel these things, the Lord might be working on yeah, you. Yeah, that's good. And so before you throw stones at somebody because they tell you the truth, maybe take a look at yourself and say, maybe I need to change some things. Maybe I need, to, maybe I need God to change my heart about this. Stinginess is a bad place to live, friend. It's a bad place to live. And again, the church does not need your money. The church will be perfectly fine, and we will be perfectly fine bringing you right along into this church and letting you come. The amazing thing is, and think about this, the church is literally the only organization on the entire planet that allows you to do that. You can't just go and hang out and take Walmart (laughs) stuff and walk out the door without paying it. Mm. You can't go to Bob Kraft's enormous temple to football up in Gillette Stadium and not pay up front for it. You can't get a ride on Uber without paying up front for it. How dare you do that for every other organization on the planet? 
except the church of the living God. Yeah. The church where people get saved, get baptized, get filled with the Holy Spirit, find value, meaning, significance, purpose. Ugh. Yeah. Don't get me started. If nope. you want me to apologize for this, you're looking in the wrong place. Sorry. Confront idols and you have conflict, right? That's what you always say. <laughs> Go for it. So Thanks we much. will switch. Speaking of the elderly, how would you approach an elderly, unwell friend who does not believe in God and you're worried about their salvation? Um, an elderly, unsaved friend. So somebody you're worried they might pass soon. I would approach the same way as I would approach anybody who yeah. is unsaved. You are there to be ready with an answer for the hope that you have. That's good. Uh, don't cram Christ down their throat because it, it comes off disingenuous when you're like, hey, you might die any moment. So, <laughs> you know, yeah. here's what Jesus has to do for you. I mean, the, the fundamental reality of the human condition is men hate God. I want you to make sure that you heard me say that. The fundamental reality of the human condition is that men hate God. Mm. We have this horrible habit in American Christianity. We look at humanity through rose-colored glasses. And the reason why is because we live in a very peaceful area, a peaceful world, a place where an atheist can do a lot of good. Yeah. We, where a doctor does not have to believe in Jesus to operate on you effectively and wisely. But it doesn't mean that they are not lost and dead in their trespasses and sins. And it doesn't mean that way down deep in their hearts there is an animosity, a hatred for God. Hmm. And this hatred for God is only overcome by one thing, the sovereign grace of Almighty God. Yeah. He overcomes his enemies. And the way he overcomes his enemies is by making them his friends. And the way he overcomes them and makes them his friends is by declaring what he has done for them, that he gave his son for his enemies. Romans chapter 5, verse 10, that we were enemies of God. Yeah. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Ephesians chapter 2, Christ came and redeemed us from the curse of the law. Christ came and saved us from our sins. These things, these truths of the Scripture teach us about the human condition and the goodness and the grace of God. So I tell people with unsaved friends, whether they're six or a hundred, you have to pray for their salvation, mm. that the sovereign God of heaven will reach into their hearts open their hearts, and cause them to be open to hear what the Word of God says. Apart from a sovereign work of God's grace, men and women are lost in sin and blind to His goodness. Yeah. There is a rich young man who comes to Jesus, and he says, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, you know the commandments, and he lists them, and he lists only four of them, actually. And, and he, the guy says, yes, I've done all those since I was a youth. He says, one thing you lack, sell all that you have and give to the poor. Now, that was challenging the man's heart because the man's heart trusted in his great riches to make him acceptable to God. In the Jewish culture, if you were blessed, it was a sign of God's blessing for your good behavior. So this Jewish rich man thought his riches were a sign that his good behavior was good enough for God. And Jesus says, it's not like that. You've misinterpreted Torah. Here's the reality. If you lay aside the very thing that you're trusting in to make you good and put your trust in me only, you will have treasure in heaven. The man hears Jesus say this and walks away sad because he was great because he had great wealth, Mark's gospel says. 
The disciples come to Jesus and says, uh, uh, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. Uh, I forget, actually, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm messing up the moment. The disciples come to Jesus uh, and they say, uh, or sorry, Jesus says to the disciples, how hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of right. heaven, right? And the disciples say, uh, Lord, um, if he can't be saved, then who can? Mm-hmm. Because Jesus says, it's hard. oh yeah, he says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to be saved. Okay, so, famous saying, right, yeah. Very famous thing. So they say, Lord, if that's the case, it's impossible. Who can be saved? Right. Because if a rich man who's blessed because of his, they're still, they're still in moral righteousness mode from the Torah. If a rich man who's blessed because of his goodness can't get saved, then who can be saved? Mm. And Jesus says, listen, what is impossible with God? Uh, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Yeah. So that person that you think is impossible to be saved, I got news for you. Jesus mm-hmm. says it's possible with me. But you got to pray right prayers. You got to pray for God to open their heart. And then in the moments that allow it, talk about what God has done in your life. Yeah. Talk about the goodness of God in your life. Talk about the goodness of Jesus. Share your faith as you can. Don't cram it. Share it. Yeah. And let God speak through you to them, partnering with the Holy Spirit to open their hearts uh, break down those walls of division between them and God and turn them over uh, into his grace. That's, That's what great. I was saying. Uh, they are still pouring in. This is what this one's from Mr. U in Rhode Island. Hello. Shout out, Rhode Island. In your opinion, what do you think is the best way to teach and create empathy in our youth? Uh, the best way is to take them on a Guatemalan yes, mission trip. I knew you were going to say that. Yes. <laughs> Come this Sunday I at 1.30 for I the can't seminar. Exp- uh, yeah, I can't, I can't overstate this. You got to get your kids out of this country. Out of the country. American parents, please, for the love of God, please get your kids out of this country. <sighs> <laughs> and keep them there. No. You just don't see it. You it, just don't see it. it to, to, I could, we could talk about this all day, Chris. Yeah, we well, you just go back. Kamala. They don't even yeah, know. Yeah, and you, I just got back from Uganda. Yeah. I could talk about this. You could talk about this all day. Yeah. You will not get it until you get out of this country. Perspective, man. Go and, and get it. You know what it's like? It's like the Truman Show. Yeah. You know how Truman is in this perfectly bubble. You know, yeah, perfectly coordinated and orchestrated bubble. And he has no clue that he's in that bubble. Yeah, that's good. But there's a little in the back of his mind that starts to grow. This little doubt. Mm-hmm. What the heck? Maybe I'm in a bubble. Well, I think that little bubble, I think that little itching voice is in the back of all of our heads. We gotta get out of the American bubble. Yeah. We gotta get out and we gotta see how the rest of the world lives because I think that that would change your teenager's life. Yeah, that would I create just, some empathy. So when is the uh, seminar at our church? Seminar is this Sunday, the 31st at 1.30. At 1.30 where? Here in North Attleboro. Here in North Attleboro. So come. In the and, and, and here's what I would do. If, you got, if you've got a teenager, uh, tell them, hey, I am buying you a back-to-school <laughs> vacation. <laughs> because when they, when they go to Carlos's place, they're going to think it's a vacation. Sure. But they're going to see the real world. So yeah, that's what I would hard. do. All right, so my husband is having a lot of anxiety of going to hell. How can I help him live his life freely uh, and morally, but not go so strict as they become legalistic, we'll say, uh, because he thinks that the Bible says a lot about secular music, tattoos, keeping the Sabbath, etc., and he thinks that will make him go to hell. Okay. Um, how do I? There's a lot I, there. Yeah. How do so I help my husband the only with way, the anxiety of hell? The only way someone is freed from their fear of hell, Hebrews talks about this in Hebrews chapter 2, mm. that Jesus Christ's death, that he took on flesh and then he took on our death, that he tasted death for everyone, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2, so that he might set free all those 
who were in bondage to the fear of death. When, you, when your husband says uh, he fears hell, he really just means he fears death. Yeah. Because death is hell. Hell is death. Hell is the second death. Okay? The only way to get free from the fear of death and the fear of hell is to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So my admonition to you is to get him to church, to get him to come to Waters Church, to tell him to come for Mother's Day. Like, say, that's the only gift I want. Come for Mother's Day. There you go. We'll preach the gospel. We'll talk about Jesus. Um, tell him, you know, instead of for my birthday, don't give me a gift. Come to church. You know, get him in here, whatever it takes, mm. so that we can proclaim Jesus, and hopefully he will put his faith. The Holy Spirit will work. The Bible says in, Ro- in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. We don't get faith just by, our, by somebody you know, uh, praying for us or talking to us. We get faith when we hear the word of God. When the gospel is proclaimed, the Holy Spirit quickens the heart, mm. opens the heart to receive the gospel and to be converted and changed and transformed through uh, the grace of, of, of God. That's the only way. Yeah. There's no other way to avoid the fear of hell and death. If you're afraid of hell and death and you're not saved, you should be. There you go. I, I mean, there's no other way to put it. What do, you, what do you want me to say? I can't say anything else except what the scriptures teach. Yeah. Um, is Israel a legitimate state? Uh, yes, according to the United Nations and the uh, yeah. 1948 charter and uh, the resolution. And uh, by the way, our president, Harry Truman, at the time, literally seven hours after the resolution was signed in 1948, established, uh, made mention that the Jewish state was official. Uh, in the nation, the promised land, what we now call, what we call as biblical scholars, the promised land, uh, but it is the nation state of Israel. It is a, a legitimate state. It is a worthy state. It is God's country, yeah. friends. Uh, God still has a plan for that land. And uh, I believe that the, um, all that we're talking about in Revelation still revolves around what happens yeah. on that piece of property. Uh, and I, having been to Israel myself, I can clearly see the evidence of God's grace upon his natural people. Now, remember in Revelation, I think we talked about this in like part four or three, five. God has his heavenly people and his earthly people. And right now, the Jewish state is his earthly people. The mm. Jews across the world, but especially in the promised land, are his earthly people. Apart from Christ, they aren't getting to heaven. Apart from Christ, they aren't getting to heaven. There is no side entrance into heaven. I'm sorry. Christ mm. is the door. He even said it to the Jews of his day. I'm the door. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot have any part in the kingdom of heaven. But he has a heavenly people. These are Jews and Gentiles together who are bought in the blood of Jesus Christ. These are the Gentile nations mostly, really. And I believe that there are Messianic Jews, Jews who have placed their faith in Christ Jesus. So there are those three groups. And there is a special blessing upon the still upon the natural Jewish state. And God's promise to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, still stands. Yeah. America is blessed because it has blessed Israel. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you, you just got to do a little bit of a research about this to know what I'm saying is true. Look at every nation's resolution on Israel, and you'll, and, I, and you'll be able to say, blessed, not blessed, blessed, not blessed. If they're for Israel, they're blessed. If they're not for Israel, they're not blessed. Speak- Look at Germany. Germany is a disaster. Germany yeah. is a, a fraction of what it should be right now. It's not a disaster, disaster right now, but it became a disaster because of how it treated God's, God's natural people. Mm. Speaking of revelation, do you think we're in the end times? Uh, yes, we are. We are in the last days, as First John says. But John said this 2,000 years ago. Right. So the last days, you've got to see this um, in the big picture of eschatology, the, 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 um, 
the unfolding of God's redemptive purposes. You have Abraham, patriarchs, you have Moses, the law, you have the kings, you have the prophets, and then you have the gospel, Christ, the fulfillment of the ages. In the fullness of time, Christ came and died for our sins. Uh, all history before him looks to that moment, and all history since him looks back to that moment mm. um, in, in uh, anticipation of his return. So all that was necessary to redeem mankind from sin was accomplished through Christ Jesus. And from that moment forward, we are in the final days. We are in the last age. We are in the last days because these are the last days of earth. And you say days sounds so short. Well, it is short compared to eternity. It is short compared to an everlasting age that is yet to come. So these are the last days. Yeah. And as we go through, and I would, I would encourage you to go through the last couple of episodes of The Deep End, and there you'll you see how we are talking about the last days uh, and looking at the book of Revelation. Yeah. Hey, why don't we celebrate the feasts in the Bible, but we do celebrate other holidays that are based off of pagan holidays? Yeah. Uh, this would be a great opportunity for you to look in the archives at our Halloween special mm. from last year. Our Halloween special from 2017, when we talked about... Um, our view of Halloween and our view of all the Americanized holidays. Um, first off, we don't celebrate the feast because we don't need to celebrate the feast. Right. Uh, you do. You, you f- feel free to celebrate the feast if you want to. But Colossians uh, chapter three makes it pretty clear that we are not to allow anyone uh, to judge us in regards to a feast, a new moon, a Sabbath, uh, any kind of. Uh, foreshadowed picture of Jesus Christ. And we do this because the uh, Christ was the fulfillment of the feast. The three, the three main feasts of Israel were the Passover, mm-hmm. uh, the Feast of Ta- uh, Pentecost, and the Feast of Booths. Those three feasts are fulfilled in the Christian's life three ways. Number one, you come to Christ and your sins are forgiven, just like Passover. Now the wrath of God, the penalty of sin mm-hmm. is taken away from you. The Feast of uh, Pentecost, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into you. And, and so we celebrate the Feast of Pentecost uh, in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost has fully come, the Holy Spirit comes upon the church, and they, are in, and they are empowered for witness. By the way, the Jews of the first century celebrated Pentecost as the uh, day in which Abraham, uh, Moses received the law. Now, when Moses received the law and came down the mountain, if you remember this, 3,000 people were killed. Yeah. Um, but in the day of Pentecost... Okay, think about this. Yeah, that's good. Peter preaches, mm-hmm. and 3,000 people are saved. And baptized. And yeah. baptized, right? And then we celebrate the Feast of Booths in that, or Tabernacles, in that one day we we're going home to be with Jesus, and we will all dwell in homes or rooms prepared for us by the Lord Jesus Christ, John chapter 14. So we are going to celebrate those feasts through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we do every single time anybody gets saved and gets filled with the Holy Spirit. And mm. when people die and go to be with Jesus, because we know one day he will resurrect them and place them in an earthly home made by his own hands. Yeah. You want to keep going? I got yeah. a bunch more. Uh, is it important in a Christian marriage to talk and or agree on politics? <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to agree on everything? In a everything? Christian marriage? Yeah, Is it right? important? No, it's not important. Um What's important is that you both love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love each other as you love yourself, and yeah. then you love your neighbors. Uh, Christians can and should disagree about policies in our political realm. And I think that Christians need to start learning how to model um, healthy disagreements around political issues. Mm. So 
where the Bible is clear about political issues, I don't think there could be an agreement, I mean, a disagreement in a in a uh, couple who, where they are both Christian. Uh, gay marriage is a political issue for some reason, a ridiculous political issue, but it is a political issue. I don't think as a Christian you can affirm gay marriage as a Christian. I just don't believe that that's right. right. Um, by the way, all of human history, except for the last four years, has agreed with what I just said. <laughs> um, and every other religion to this day still agrees with what I just said. It is only lackadaisical, half-hearted Christianity in the mainline denominations that disagree with what I said. But I don't think you can be a biblically affirming Christian and agree about that. I don't think you can be a biblically uh, disagree about that. I don't think you can be a biblically affirming Christian and disagree about uh, conception being the moment life right. is abortion. life. Uh, I don't think you can affirm abortion and be a biblical Christian. Mm. So there are, and then there are, I don't think you can be a biblically affirming Christian and not support caring for the poor and providing a safety net for those who experience the hardships of life. And so there are right and left issues here Mm. that the Bible affirms. When Jesus was on the earth, he divided the rights and the lefts right down the middle, and they both came together and put him to death. Remember that. Yeah, the Sadducees right. on the left, the Pharisees on the right. That's what the political, those were the political poles of Jesus' day. He came along, ticked them both off. They became friends, worked <laughs> together with Pilate to put him on the cross. Just remember that. Still bringing people together. Uh, so you may have a different way you maybe you want to answer this, but how do I share the good news of Christ with someone who is involved in the dark arts? Like sorcery, I guess. How do I share the Christian faith? Yeah, I'm share the, good the news gospel, of Christ. not just the Christian give, faith. Well, it says it says the good news of Christ. Oh, okay, good. So good. yeah, um, dark. You arts. know what? What we what we uh, what we need to learn how to do is leverage the disbelief of unbelievers with the go- uh, leverage the gospel into their disbelief. And by that, I mean when you examine that person, when you look at them. When you think about them, you've got to ask yourself, what are they really looking for mm. in that practice? Whether it be dark arts, the occult, Ouija boards, whatever. Everything that people go to those things for ultimately are only found in Christ. Yeah. And you have to identify those things. And then, when you, and then you have to say, okay, maybe, maybe by going to the dark arts, they are looking for connection with their dead father. Mm. They're looking for spiritual power. They're looking for insider wisdom. Well, the Bible says that in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and understanding, right? Uh, Christ. You, you've got to learn how to talk and season your conversation with salt uh, so that when you speak about Christ, it's attractive to what they are attracted to. Yeah. So if they're attracted to the X in the dark arts, well, then you talk about how you found X in Christ. Yeah. I believe that's the best way to tell people that Christ is the answer because everybody's searching for something. Right. Everybody's looking for something. Everybody's worshiping something. I believe that the best way to leverage those, uh, the best way to win people to Christ is to leverage what they are looking for in those false gods by revealing how you have found it in the true God. And that's where you share your faith and your testimony. That's good. Hey, why is it that I want and choose to read anything but my Bible? Ah, because you're human. And like I said, that remnant of the power of sin, just like with the unforgiveness person, is alive and well in you and wants to take you away from the very waters of life. And you've got to pray your way through it, and you've got to get into the Bible and and just demand to hear it. You know what I would suggest? We, We have so many modern technologies that make it so easy. Get the Bible app on your phone 
and Bluetooth connect it to your your car and have it like prominent on your first page of your iPhone or your or your Android phone so that you get in your car and you just make a point. I'm going to put the Bible app on and I'm going to play yeah. the Bible through my audio speaker on the way to work, on the way home from work, or maybe you spend all day in your car. I think that that would be a very easy way for you to get God's Word into you and not have to go through the painstaking process of actually opening a book <laughs> and reading page. it yourself. <laughs> um, we live in a day and age where it, it's so easy and there's really no excuse. But you got to be aware of the fact that the power of sin is still alive in your life. Mm-hmm. You've got to repent from this. You've got to tell the Father, Father, I don't want to read your word. This is my sinful nature right now. I repent. I turn from this. I ask you for grace in the midst of this and help me and empower me to love your word. Psalm 119, a man who is thoroughly in love with the word of God. Read through it yourself. It's the longest psalm in the Bible, the longest chapter in the Bible. It uh, will enunciate all the blessings to those who follow the word, and hopefully by the end of it, your heart will burn for more of the word of God. Yeah. How can I know what God's calling for my life is? Uh, this is a common question from the 1980s and 90s, and it's very rare today, but thank you for asking because I want to say it very simply, and we have, we'll close with this. Okay. You know the call of... It's not important for you to know God's call on your life as much as it is, as, as much as it is important for you to know what God is doing in the world and get on board with it. Mm. Uh, we want to take the God of the universe and whittle him down to this little personal preference plan for our lives. And many times when we are talking about the will of God, when we say, what can I, how can I know the will of God? We are looking for that great life, the good life, the excellent life, the awesome life that we can Instagram post to everybody so that they'll be jealous of us. Don't do that with the God of the universe. The God of the universe has been doing something from way before you were born. And when you croak, he will still be doing it. My advice to you is find out what he's doing. Yeah. Get on board with that. Give your life to it. Never stop. So what is God doing? God is saving people from their sins. Mm. God is redeeming the nations, bringing people from every tribe, language, tongue, and nation to himself through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Get into a good gospel-preaching church. If you're in Waters Church, you're already in one. But get into a good gospel-preaching church. Help, serve, do things that help other people find Christ. And I'm telling you, all the other things are incidentals. So what you do is with your jo- as far as a job goes, what you do with as far as family goes, you don't have to be married to be a good, faithful Christian. You don't have to be single to be a good, faithful Christian. Mm. These are incidentals, friend. These are incidentals. The main thing is to make Christ known. Get on board with that. The Lord will begin to open up doors, relationships, um, job opportunities. Uh, th- you'll, you'll go places that you would never have thought of if you sink your heart and life into the gospel of Jesus Christ and the work of God in this age, I guarantee it. I guarantee it. Mm. Very good. I would never have believed yeah. last week that I would have met a five-year-old boy named Nicholas from Uganda yeah. who I sponsored through Compassion. The Lord granted me that opportunity. How? Was I looking for it? Was I asking for it? It came and found me. I'm just doing what God is doing. I'm partnering with the church. I want to make Jesus glorious in my generation. And as I've done that, and my wife will attest to this too, as we have done this, the Lord has blessed us in so many different ways. We have got great friends. We have got great partners. We've got great coworkers. We've had great experiences. Mm. Those are the incidentals, and they're great incidentals. But the main thing is to present Jesus to the nations. Amen.
Good questions, everybody. I really had a fun time doing yeah, this one. I did too, and there's more. We, I don't we know. should do this again. We, I think we might have to. We might have to do this again. We got like halfway through. What do you guys think over here, production people? Yeah. What maybe people we'll do, uh, uh, listening and watching? You have more questions? Let us know. Maybe we'll do another one. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for joining us. Hey, fill in the comments. You would let us know. More question and answer sessions or what? We'd love to hear from you. Hope you enjoyed this time. This was The Deep End. <laughs>